Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining uh, in this morning as we continue to study the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be back in Mark's Gospel this morning, continuing our study through there. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. But before we dive into there, I just wanted to kind of briefly mention, uh, for those of you who are prophecy-oriented, and hopefully all of us as believers uh, are at least somewhat oriented toward prophecy as we watch the events of the world around us and see them through the lens of God's revelation in the Scriptures, um, I just want to mention a, a quick thing that had gone on, uh, I think in our time it would be yesterday, uh, uh, would have been the night before, would have been um, uh, looking at, uh, in the Middle East there, in Israel's time, they had, um, they've attacked uh, some targets around Homs, around Damascus, Syria. And that is always an important thing for us to keep an eye on. In particular, because it's possible, as we've mentioned in previous prophecy briefs, that if, in fact, the fuse that is lit that ignites Ezekiel 38 and 39, if that event that sparks that is, in fact, uh, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of the leveling of Damascus, which you read about in the opening verses of uh, Isaiah 17, if, in fact, those events are connected, and if Isaiah 17's description of Damascus being leveled becomes the impetus for Ezekiel 38 and 39 to ultimately begin to unfold, then those are always significant things for us to watch when Israel goes uh, uh, into that area and strikes the targets that she does. The targets that she's striking, by the way, are Hezbollah targets, which uh, and Hezbollah is a proxy arm of Iran. And Iran, as uh, if you follow the news, you're well aware that they are constantly trying to establish and further establish a foothold in Syria in order to have a base of operations by which to attack Israel. And Hezbollah is one of those proxies through which she does that. And so when Israel has made it known recently uh, that she's going to go in and proactively seek to take out some of these facilities and, and arms and stuff because they want to make sure that Iran doesn't have the capacity to establish a firmer foothold there. Uh, and so in, in uh, with a sense of self-preservation, they're going and being proactive and striking these targets in order to uh, eliminate that, that potential growing threat. So, but however, that being the case, uh, it may very well be that one of these times uh, they have to strike hard in that area and that may ultimately bring the fulfillment of Isaiah's words and then ultimately bring about Ezekiel's. Uh, prophecy unfolding. So always be watching those areas. Be be mindful of that. Um, and so watch the news. Consider those things. And um, and you know we'll continue to talk about these things as as they go on. But for today, um, I'm going to uh, again invite you to be in Mark uh, chapter one. By the way, also uh, I just remember too. I wanted to com uh, just mention how much I appreciate the comments that some of you all share uh, in the uh, especially on the YouTube comments uh, when we post the videos. Um, I'm always very encouraged by that, and, and yesterday in particular, um, uh, someone who's been listening and watching uh, since we started doing these things uh, commented about the devotional we shared yesterday about the Stones of Remembrance as we looked into Joshua's, uh, the book of Joshua, and uh, just shared a wonderful testimony of, of the particular Stone of Remembrance in, in her own life. That, um, that was really meaningful, and it was just really great to hear that. And so, um, you know, if you all want to share those things or you want to interact with one another or, or I'd love to interact with you as well, um, those are great places to do that. Go ahead and just share in the comments, and, and I try to respond to all of those when they come in. There's not that many. I don't mean to make it sound like that, but, uh, but I do try to stay on top of that. So um, 
Uh, oh, and speaking of community, uh, that's a reasonably good segue here to move into, again, our study in the Gospel of Mark. We've gotten as far as verse 15, where Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness over those 40 days. And then he began to share his ministry of, um, of calling people to repent, in similar to what John's ministry was in calling people to be ready uh, because the kingdom of God was in fact at hand. And so Jesus called people to repent and to believe the gospel. And so we talked about those things, but we pick it up now in verse 16. And let me read the passage here and you'll understand why I'm making the connection with community here. Uh, because it's here that Jesus begins now to call his first disciples. So in chapter 1, verse 16 of Mark's gospel, Mark records these words that, and as he walked, Jesus that is, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Again, we see the word immediately there. That's a a term that Mark uses, I think it's nine times in the the first chapter alone. And so it's it's a common word for him to use. It speaks of the immediacy of so much of what is going on. It's sort of the quick pace that his gospel record moves at. Um, however, one thing I'll point out though, uh, is that when we see the call of, uh, math of uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, uh, we uh, are sometimes prone when we read it in Mark's gospel to think that uh, Jesus sort of just came upon them in Galilee and, and, and around the Sea of Galilee there, called them and they just sort of, almost like zombies, just sort of dropped their stuff and followed after him. That's not really... Uh, the way that would have gone down. As a matter of fact, uh, when we compare the other accounts, we realize that this is not the first time that these four men, these two sets of brothers, have encountered Jesus. Uh, as a matter of fact, in John's gospel, we see that uh, um, that that John is one of those who uh, was a disciple of John the Baptist. But when John the Baptist began to steer people toward Jesus, John uh, is one of those who follows after him. And so, Uh, John has met him already. Uh, Andrew appears to have met him already as well as we see the accounts, and he goes to get his brother Peter. Uh, And Peter, uh, you know, is a little skeptical, um, but uh, ultimately comes to recognize that that Jesus is at the very least a prophet, certainly a a potent man of God uh, from that account, if you read it and see it uh, and learn about it there. And and even in um, Luke's gospel, uh, prior, if Luke is chronologically spelling out the story as he seems to be doing, it seems to be his intention to give an orderly or chronological account of, in the gospel, uh, it, it's, it looks as though uh, Jesus has actually healed Peter's mother-in-law before the actual calling to be an apostle. And so they've met Jesus pre- previously, but now comes the call to come follow him, and they do. Now that they've come to realize that, um, you know, they're starting to get inklings that this might be the Messiah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when, uh, when, uh, when, when I think it's Andrew goes to get Philip, he basically says this, could this be the Messiah, you know? And so um, in John's gospel. So when you see these things happening, we're getting a fuller picture of what happens prior and ultimately leading up to the time when Jesus goes to where they are uh, and he calls them and they follow him. And so that being said, he's now called 
four to become his, not only disciples, but ultimately they would become his apostles. Now a disciple by definition is one who's a learner. The idea of a disciple is not unique to Jesus. Uh, lots of people have disciples. Rock stars today have disciples, people who imitate them in their bedrooms. They play guitar and they try and get all the moves down like the guy they see on stage. Or, um, you know, people who follow politics maybe are uh, currently always Trumpers kind of a thing where they're just everything that he says and does is awesome and everything. I'm not an always or a never Trumper, by the way. I don't mean to get political. But the idea of a disciple is not unique to Jesus. Uh, most people... Um, that are famous or well-known or have done great things tend to have people that follow them. Uh, when it comes to those who follow Jesus, what that speaks of, like it would in any context, is that a disciple is somebody who wants to be like their master. And so Peter and, uh, and Andrew and James and John, uh, they would become those who would seek to listen to, learn from, ultimately be servants of, try to emulate their master, Jesus. And so they would be learners, essentially, apprentices, and that kind of a thing as disciples. However, they wouldn't only be disciples. Uh, eventually, out of those who would begin to be disciples of Jesus, he picks 12 who then become his apostles. Uh, and those 12 apostles are well known, and we'll talk about them more as we go through the gospel, but we'll focus on these four to start with today. But the, the apostles now are not just those who are learning from Jesus, but now those who are also sent by him with a message in particular uh, to them will be entrusted uh, as it is the keys to the kingdom and the gospel ministry as they will go out and seek to ultimately disciple, make disciples of the nations of all peoples, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus taught them. And so um, this is now the beginning of the calling of those who ultimately will be entrusted the work of the kingdom. All obviously, but one, we all know which one that is. But, um, and if you don't, stay tuned. But so one other significant thing that I'll mention about uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, in specific, Peter, James, and John, although Andrew is present for one of these events, but these three, Peter, James, and John, become sort of an inner circle of Jesus' apostles. Uh, they are with him at very key events. Uh, they are with him when the transfiguration happens, when Jesus is transfigured before their eyes and he, he, is his clothes, he becomes white like, uh, like fresh washed white laundering as one of the disciples or one of the gospels uh, describes it. Um, he becomes white like the light and he's surrounded by Moses and Elijah on either side of him. It's Peter, James, and John who were there for that. Uh, as Jesus um, um, is up in the garden praying prior to his uh, crucifixion, prior to the arrest, um, is Peter, James, and John who are there. Interesting, in both of those examples, they fell asleep. Hmm. Um, anyway, but uh, they, uh, those are the three that are his closest inside of the, the apostles. Um, and, and so we want to watch them as we go through the gospel story. Obviously, they, they're prominent. And then, of course, it's uh, Peter and John who run to the tomb after the word from the women come back about, um, um, about having seen the Lord and, and, and all of this. It's, it's those two. Um, so um, as, we, uh, as we spend time looking at this, keep, keep an eye open for those four disciples. Andrew, again, is present during some of that as well. But primarily, Peter, James, and John become sort of this inner circle of the disciples. But he calls to them. He ultimately finds them casting their nets, Peter and Andrew, that is, and calls them and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
Okay, so the first four that he calls, by the way, um, are fishermen. These are guys that work the, the nets in the water. They get up early every day. Um, you know, when I think about these guys and what they do for a living, sometimes it's a little unfair the way that uh, the disciples are depicted in some of the artwork that has gone on through the ages. Uh, the disciples are sort of these meek and tender sorts of guys, almost effeminate in a way. But, you know, you think about it, um, you know, this isn't guys out there soaking a line off a Zebco or some kind of a thing. These are guys that are out there throwing nets big nets that, you know, heavy rope nets that can ultimately pull in loads and loads of fish. These nets are made of rope and they're, they get wet and they get heavy and they're pulling things in while standing on a boat trying to balance and everything. These are probably pretty tough and relatively muscular men. Uh, think more of construction worker kind of people than, than sort of you know, these sort of milk toast kinds of guys or something, you know, and Jesus himself. I mean, imagine someone taking the kind of uh, abuse that he took at the end and then carrying a crossbeam all the way up to his point of crucifixion and that. This, these are not weak people by any means. Um, and so when we find these guys fishing, Peter, uh, who is extremely prominent through the Gospels and even into the New Testament there through the book of Acts and then, of course, his two letters, this is a guy who is truly like a guy's guy. This is somebody who sometimes thinks after he speaks and stuff like that. You know, he's a uh, he's uh, he's he's committed. He's a follower of Jesus. He fails miserably, but there's never any doubt for his love for the Lord, even in the face of his failings. Uh, this is a guy who is is committed to the Lord, uh, and and so he's just you know there's a lot to learn from these guys, and we'll pick these things apart uh, as we go on through. But he says, I'll make you fishers of men. They're familiar with the idea of working hard to bring in a catch, uh, of, of staying out all night when necessary to try and catch things and getting used to disappointment when they don't catch things for the night. And remember, their livelihoods depended on this kind of a thing. So they were hardworking and they were, uh, they were committed. And Jesus calls them and essentially tells them that all of that which you've poured yourself into for your, for your livelihood is actually now going to find a purpose and maybe even its ultimate purpose as you apply that kind of a mindset and that work effort and everything into the highest calling of all. And that is in the service of the king in bringing the gospel to people to ultimately be saved. And so they'll be catching people now, essentially, in the net of the gospel and seeking to draw them in ultimately to the Savior. Uh, he went a little further. He called James and John, same thing. And immediately they left their father Zebedee with the hired hands and followed him. Now we see that, and I think it's significant that details like this are included in the gospel. They left their father to go follow Jesus. Um, you know, when you think about that, there's an element in which you might think that's a little like, wow, you know, really you got to leave your family sometimes to follow the Lord. Um, sometimes that happens, you know, sometimes part of the call in following Jesus is costly. The gospel and salvation is costly too. It's just Jesus paid for that cost, right? But following Jesus also carries a cost. The idea of, of being a disciple, a follower, and a learner of Jesus. There are times he calls us to separate from uh, people and circumstances that are comfortable for us and that our relationships sometimes uh, uh, have to be conducted at a distance now because we we move on our, our own family we've you know we don't live with family here per se we moved here away from family because God called us to come to Tennessee um, but it's 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 not uncommon for that kind of a thing as a matter of fact Jesus put it to people who said they wanted to follow him 
And some of the things he put out there might sound kind of harsh. Well, let me, uh, I bought a piece of land. I need to go check on it and everything. Well, you know, Jesus talks about people who were in that circumstance or wanting to do other things first before following him. And he said, look, you know what? If you're, if you're going to follow me, you put your hand on the plow and you don't look back. You know, in other words, it's going to require a level of commitment. Uh, Jesus even said, you know, when he compared it to things like uh, going to war or building a house or something, you don't go into that thing half cocked, you know, you, you take a look at what you're doing and then you sign on. And I'm fond of saying, you know, when we find ourselves going through hard times and difficult things, having to walk with the Lord through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes, you know, we have to remember, we have to remember that this is what we signed up for. This is part and parcel with following Jesus. It's not always going to be easy. The high mountaintops are bliss. They are exquisite. They're wonderful. They're breathtaking as you sort of sometimes get this sense of what it's all about and everything. But other times you're in the valley and it's hard. And it's, it's in those times that our commitment is tested. Not our love, not our salvation, none of those kinds of things. But sometimes when we face difficult things, we shy back, we shirk away a little bit and everything. And Jesus wants us to know that sometimes following him is going to come with a cost. And we need to consider that as we follow him on a daily basis. It's why Jesus said to take up our cross and follow after him. Uh, that's not speaking of, of wearing jewelry and just sort of being like that kind of a thing per se, but rather what it speaks of is dying to ourselves. The idea that no longer are we numero uno, he is. And so that means that when it comes to the things that we want, if they don't line up with the things that he might be directing us into, then we have to be willing to make a choice right there. So uh, we see that right at the very beginning of the call of James and John as they leave their father to go and to follow Jesus. And it's entirely possible that their father may not have fully understood that at the time. I don't mean to read into something that's not there. I'm not being dogmatic about this point. Um, but I can imagine if my own daughter, if our daughter decided she was going to go follow Jesus and she became a missionary in some faraway place and we we're only going to see her once every couple of years, well... We might be really proud of her. We might really encourage her to follow the Lord's leading. But there's a part of that that would be pretty hard. You know, to, to, to watch her go would be difficult. Um, but at the same time, we recognize that, you know, for our part, that would be part of our obedience to the Lord. And so these are things to think about. I don't mean to get all hard-nosed in that kind of a thing, but we do need to consider these things when we follow the Lord. This is what the apostles did. This is what they left behind, whether it was their nets, whether it was uh, Matthew and his tax collecting, you know, whether it was uh, the personal political ambitions that Simon the Zealot might have had. Uh, these, these men had to set these things aside for the greater purpose of what Jesus was ultimately leading them to do. And so likewise, they set an example for us to consider the same things as he calls us to continue to follow him. So that said, I'm going to go ahead and stop there for today. And we'll, we'll pick it up next time in verse, uh, in verse uh, 21. Um, and, and stay tuned again as we continue to do prophecy briefs and, uh, and share devotionals and different kinds of things on a regular basis here. And, uh, and by all means, if you're not already part of a fellowship, we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings and watch our live stream. Uh, and hopefully we'll all be able to start gathering, you know, in person again in the next few weeks or so. Um, we'll see how that all goes. But we just love to provide content that hopefully is helping you and, 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 uh, and helping you to grow in Christ, even in kind of an odd time. So let me pray us out, and then we'll, uh, we'll look forward to meeting again next time. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, first of all, for the call, the fact that you would call us to follow you and to walk in Jesus' ways and in his footsteps. 
as learners from him. And Father, uh, no matter how long we've been walking with the Lord or how new we might be, there's never a point at which we stop learning from the master. And so help us to be open-hearted and open-minded to those things we see in the scripture that we come to recognize those, uh, those important lessons that go with being a follower of Christ. Help us to be willing to obey and to walk in your ways as we see them revealed in your word. And Father, we thank you that ultimately all of these things serve to bring you glory, that ultimately one day we'll be in your presence. Uh, we look forward to, as, as, uh, you know, as, as the scriptures say, to, to hearing you say, well done. We want to be in your presence and hear those great words. We're so excited at the prospect, Father, and we love you and thank you that uh, you've laid out such a future and a hope for us. And Father, we pray that you go before us today. Help us to be lights, to be salt, uh, here in a world that so desperately needs the illumination of the truth and who so desperately needs uh, to be stirred up with the thirst for the gospel. So thank you, Father, for calling us and using us, and may we bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.